I pace out this intro. It's weird to have come this far with a podcast and be like, you know, sitting in this cool new space of mine, which isn't big. It's this fucking gnarly little motorcycle shop in China, Maine, not the country. And rationalized that I started this podcast, uh, you know, fuck, I guess it's like a year and change old, you know, maybe two. I don't even know now. This is how bad I am at keeping track of stuff. But I've gotten to this point where when I first started that, uh, you know, I'm like coming off of losing a wife and trying to reevaluate my entire existence to uh, moving into a camper after selling all my shit and uh, living off of grid, taking off on the motorcycle whenever I want and uh, just focusing on the mushroom farm and uh, staying sane. And, you know, a couple of years later, I'm <clears throat> building out this cool space. Uh, business is expanding. Cap and Stem is growing. We buy a, you know, a spot in Lewiston and we're trying to figure out a way to uh, move forward with it. And, uh, I'm not sitting in a camper off grid and I'm not existing in a space in which, uh, it's rather depressing unless you sort of see the, uh, trajectory it's sort of jumping me towards. I'm just in the spot now, bed, bathtub, kitchen. That's like a lot of, uh, creature comforts that I didn't want for a while. So anyways, I don't mean to drone on about this shit. You know, everybody's got their, uh, time under the sun and, uh, their time to dig a fucking hole and lay down in it. But this episode really is about, um, just talking down the path of finding, uh, Mark R. Keith or Roger Rabbit, um, <clears throat> it's funny to, uh, look back on like an old episode that I posted, uh, with, uh, nearby naturals. And since then I've realized how many people don't know who he is and don't know who the, um, you know, main players on like the shroomery were. And, uh, now they're starting to understand it a little bit more and go back and dig into the history. But what's even more impressive is like how many people do know who he is, <laughs> It's fucking insane, right? Uh, the more you look into a particular person and the effect they've had on an entire fucking industry, the more you just have to keep digging and digging and digging. So I sort of put it out there into the world that I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to have him on this show. To me, I just thought he was out of it. I thought people moved on. I thought people were kind of done and uh, <laughs> they really just didn't care about, you know, like going any further. And I think it's because I had seen a lot of that in this industry. I'd seen so far and I still see people burn out fucking fast. And I've been doing this for so many fucking years now that I've had these burnout moments and flashback moments and reignition excitement moments and things are successful. Things are failing. Things are contaminated. Things are perfect. Uh, you're employing more people than you actually are friends with. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, moving at hyperspeed. You're moving super slow, too slow, not enough sales, just enough sales, too many sales. 
uh, I get like the daunting factor. And I think it's been a fucking whirlwind for us at Cap and STEM. And that's part of the reason I want to tell people's stories is basically to get a sense of myself and where I'm going, but also help people realize, A, yeah, you're not alone. And B, we're all kind of insane. And C, <laughs> you wouldn't stop if you could, would you? <clears throat> I think uh, I didn't expect it to turn into such a fucking adventure um, trying to find this dude, you know. And I didn't try as hard as I think some people think I did. Um, I did a bunch of research. I didn't push. I didn't prod. Um, the first step in trying to find Mark was writing him a letter and I go to his website, you know, mushroomvideos.com or whatever it is. And he's got all his old videos up there, like low res previews. And he still makes a living off of this stuff. So go fucking buy a goddamn digital download, man, support this dude. And, uh, you know, all I can think is like some people have made fun of some of these things over the years. Uh, even now they're like, oh, this is stupid fucking tech, you know. What they don't realize is like <laughs> you're just not smart enough to have tried something, you know. Instead, some people are just too quick to make fun of something. Um, so, yeah, some of it's hilarious. I even put fucking fingers at some of it. Um, but it starts a discussion and it makes a, a rational sort of um, – conclusion about why something works or why it doesn't work. Or sometimes it's just in the mystery of we do these things because we're kind of crazy, you know? <laughs> I was just talking to a dude from Texas about this and uh, um, he's a cultivator out there. And these like thermodynamic mind fucks are just as weird when you experience them in the mushroom growing world as when you're, you know, fucking science teacher in high school or middle school tells you the North pole is really the South pole and the South pole is really the North pole. You can't rationalize that beyond much of a human brain's uh, ability to say that's just, uh, uh, cool. It's cultish. It's weird. You know, what a spacey idea. So I don't know. I feel oddly defensive of, uh, of ingenious innovators, who put it out there and really supported a community through its booming fucking phase of decentralization. <clears throat> if you go back onto the shroomery, I mean, like Mark is a, a God when it comes down to it. He doesn't act that way. Uh, having met him and spent time with him now, he doesn't um, perceive himself as that way. He's humble. He's so kind and he wants to tell his fucking story. Okay. So let's back up. I, record that first episode. I mentioned Roger Rabbit, uh, Sam and Sarai. I don't know who the fuck Roger Rabbit is. Um, I kind of tell them they've kind of remembered and I keep bringing him up and this really spurs a lot of the conversation around, you know, other interviewees, uh, that I'm bringing on to the Micah Wizards podcast. So I read him a letter. I go to mushroom videos, whatever it is.com. And, uh, and basically find his address. It's in Malo, uh, Washington. I think it's pretty, pretty secluded, you know, at this point in my head, but I'm like, there's a chance he'll still get a letter and receive it and maybe right back. Okay. So I send him a letter and then simultaneously I send him an email or two. I leave it at that. 
I don't go back onto the shroomery, like stocking it in 2009 when I first got into it. I just write him a fucking letter and write him an email and leave it at that. I continue talking about him on different podcasts. A few different people reach out about it. People kind of know at this point, um, people who have listened to the show, fans and friends and folks, you know, in this industry. And uh, out of nowhere, I wake up one day and I get an anonymous message with like a Zillow link in it. So I click on this Zillow link and I I don't know why, but I just click on it. Usually you get a fucking unknown text message. You don't fucking click on that shit, right? <laughs> but I don't know. I just, I felt the immediate nerve to click on it. So impulse is a huge part of the story. Anyways, <laughs> I click on it and uh, it's a, it's a house in the woods. It's listed for 300 and some odd thousand dollars, which was surprising to me given that when I first saw this link, I was like, man, looking for a spot of my own and everything's so fucking expensive. I'm like, wow, maybe I moved to Washington. No, (laughs) I wouldn't do that. Um, so I'm scanning through the photos and like, you know, you start to get this little mystical feeling. Like you're like, I kind of think I know this place. And then I see a garage door that's open and in the middle of it at the back is a fucking flow hood. And the flow hood, if you followed these videos and you downloaded or bought them or watched them online or got them through Aloha Medicinals, you know the fucking flow hood I'm talking about. Tiny ass fucking flow hood with that little uh, like white painted metal grate that, that sits just above the threshold of the fucking wood frame <laughs> so you can pour dishes being just in, in front of the filter. And on the side, there's like a, um, you know, a a rack full of ball jars. And I'm like, holy shit. I just realized this is it. This is the set. This is fucking, this is Roger Rabbit's house. This is Mark's fucking spot. And of course it is. I relook at the address and then I, you know, go back to his website and I'm like, holy shit. Okay. It's weird. It's like, uh, what's the end of breaking bad and right when uh, all these photos are being taken of this abandoned house and, uh, there's graffiti on the inside and everybody knows the story and it cracked the code by now. And like, uh, Oh, this is the meth man. Not calling you that Mark, please don't take it that way. <laughs> it's the most cinematic thing that comes to mind though. When I first saw this, I was like, Holy shit. It's the legend's house, man. You know, there's a shipping container, uh, buried into the fucking back hill, um, the kitchen, the goddamn countertop, the floor, the fucking, all this shit cabinets talking to Corey Nielsen about it, um, from hi-fi and we're like, holy shit. Like that's it. That's the first time we saw somebody mixing rye or down on their hands and knees, mixing substrate. And just, we were all trying to just watch it and understand what the fuck was happening. You know, how could we do this? And Oh, cool. And then you see the double boil barreler, barrel boiler, the ultra pasteurization chamber, and I'm blown away. So I send it to Neil. I send it to, you know, Corey. I send it to a few people. And uh, Neil's like, we should fucking buy this place, man. And I was like, yeah, we should fucking buy this place. Turn it into a goddamn fucking monastery for mushroom growers, you know. Come out here and learn in the original RR place. You know, and at this point I'm realizing this is like, it's like a Mecca and you, you never knew where it was and you get these outside photos of it and you're like, holy shit, you, you just get jazzed. So I got pulled back into the Michael Wizards thing. 
I'd stop recording for a little while and, uh, and it, and I just kept stop recording because I, I was like, I was like, I had to fucking find him now, you know? And, uh, I do a little more emailing, a little more like trying to track down where he might be. And, uh, and I get this, uh, message and, um, and it's from Alex, uh, man, I'm going to look up your name so I don't fuck it up because this is a, this, this whole thing is, is fucking Alex. So thank you, man. Um, but Alex basically, uh, out of nowhere, he sends me a text message that says, Hey, I uh, was chatting with, uh, Roger Rabbit last night. And, um, and I think, uh, I think, uh, he should reach out to you. Alex Reinhardt. I'm sorry, man. It just took me a minute. <laughs> um, and, uh, he said, you know, he might email you, you should email him. Um, but I told him to reach out and I said, you know, there's this dude, he's got this podcast and he wants to record an episode with you. So I was like, Oh man, thank you. That's so kind of you. Like I, I just like, I'm blown away. I did. a, I think I, we did a consultation together and I just didn't even like, you know, you don't know who's coming from the shroomer. You don't know that Lipa fucking does all the, you know, shit for, uh, home foods. Now you don't know who's become what in that world, because all we are is screen names and, uh, we're just like code photos and different concepts. And we're just playing off of these threads and it's fascinating. So whoever Alex is on the shroomery, him and RR are chatting a little bit. And I think he popped on there for a second and pops off. Some people think RR is dead at this point. You know, some people are just like, ah, he's out. I had heard basically that he had stopped. I, the story as I know it is that I, I heard RR had stopped growing mushrooms to grow weed for his wife who was dying or had died that's the story that I knew. And then his wife had died and that he must just not be growing mushrooms anymore or growing weed or giving a shit. Right. I had just been through this and I did not realize the connection. I did not realize that on some fucking level, it makes so much sense for me to be jumping into a conversation with this character. I didn't realize I had experienced something that he had experienced. And I think when I wrote him a letter, I had a vague understanding of what I was feeling and what maybe he was feeling. And it, it, it turns out in the end, and after you hear this podcast and more that I have to say about it, that we all feel the same things, you know, when it comes down to grief and losing people, losing loved ones, but especially losing a fucking wife, you know, that's reserved for only something people who have lost wives understand and who are widowed and it holds a weight. It holds a fucking clout and it defines the rest of your life. So if I had to say anything to any going to be widow, I'd say this is a ghost that's going to follow you forever, no matter what. And it's not a bad ghost, but God damn, it's going to suck some days. And I didn't write that in my letter to Mark. You know, I, I kind of kept it loose and, kind of mentioned it briefly, but I was more just trying to like see if I could extract him or pull him out. Cause I assumed he was just done. Okay. So 
I'm down, I think, at my mom's got this cool little beach uh, bungalow in Massachusetts. Shacky infested waters down there in the Boston, right? And uh, all of a sudden, I like look at my phone and I get this email from sales. And I thought it was sales of cap and stem. So I almost swiped it away. Like, ah, I'm taking a quick fucking vacation. Fuck it, whatever. And, um, and then I look at it and I double take and it's fucking RR and it's sales at mushroomvideos.com, right? And his little emojicon circle is his fucking face and I lit up like a goddamn Christmas tree. I don't think I've been this happy in fucking ages, you know? I'm like, no fucking way. And it was just because I sent him an email and I said, hey, Mark, a friend of mine, uh, Alex, uh, Catawba Mushrooms, uh, said you guys were chatting last night and I got this podcast. I'd love you put it on yet, you know, and and that was it. I was like, here's my info, man. And he writes back and he goes, hey, sorry for the delay. I'm getting a few medical procedures over the next few weeks and I've been busy getting things uh, set up. Is your podcast video or just audio? Next month marks a major milestone for me. I harvested my first mushroom crop in September 1972, 50 fucking years ago. All right, he didn't put fucking in there. I hadn't thought of that for years until I got Alex's email. Be well, Mark R. Keith. I write back. We go back and forth. He asked me if I'm in shape for hiking mountains. Um, you know, he's, he lives out West. I should come visit. Uh, he's heading back from being out in New York and, uh, we just go back and forth and we start talking and I say something about choppers, right? I got this image of Mark and I'm like, all right, Mark is a, he's just fucking mushroom nerd guy. I don't know. He's uh, probably bald and I don't know. He's older now, whatever. So sorry. (laughs) He's got a lovely uh, long curly hair. Um, but out of nowhere, I, as I mentioned choppers, I'm down at this fucking event with my nephew. He rides up out of, uh, of Ian, uh, you know, the, the fucking hurricane that's coming out of Florida and we meet down at Wildwood, New Jersey, and we're going to fucking party for the night of the troglodytes into the, the race of gentlemen, but the race of gentlemen canceled. So we fucking party anyways. And I got an email back to, from him and, uh, and he says, I wish I had still had pictures of the rigid uh, frame panhead I rode back from Alaska in 1978. My gig was to find super cubs and otters in the lower 48, usually in the Great Lakes area, and fly them to Alaska where they were in demand for bush flying. I'd then rent a truck and trailer to bring back the Harleys and Indians I bought with the profits from the planes. On one trip, I only found one decent pan, a 48, that I rode back to Texas, 6,000 miles and 1,500 of it on fucking gravel. What a trip. Man, I keep adding fuckings in here because I'm so excited, but there's no fuckings. My low rider has a one and a half of rear wheel travel, so it's really not much smoother than a rigid. I'm hoping what I need to resolve before I blah, 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 blah. So he goes on um, and we go back and forth and I'm blown away. I'm like, this motherfucker rides motorcycles. Like he's got all these adventurous stories. He's flying planes. I know nothing about this guy. Um, I'm like, I'm elated. You know, I finally fucking... I've been in communicado with this dude and I'm starting to get the story. So anyways, I slowly pull it out. We try and make plans. He's got some appointments and things and, and I finally just book the tickets and I tell, I tell my business partner, I'm like, there's a substantial chance. This is a gamble. I'm like, I'm going to get out there and he's like, not going to get, you know, he's just going to ghost me. 
And uh, I felt like it might have almost gone that way. But, you know, I get out there and uh, we're traveling around a bit before we end up coming up towards uh, Seattle and uh, that sort of region of the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so I'm not too far from where uh, Mark is finally, I think. And uh, the day I'm about to go see him is the day I get the address to go find him, you know. And he has one request. He's like, see if you can find some fucking marble rye because I just want to have a goddamn <laughs> corned beef sandwich with marble rye. And all they have is regular just Jewish rye out here. So I fucking go hunting, man. I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been traveling around the that area for a few days and uh, taking photos with large format cameras. And I think I've seen everything, but I don't realize how hard it is to find marble rye on the West coast. Fucking blew my mind. So it's crazy. This whole thing is just like, it doesn't make any sense that I've, I've sort of been invited into this world and sort of the background that I really wanted to, to put forth in this introductory episode. And, you know, mind you, this, we're going to put out the first part of the, our episode uh, next weekend. I'm not trying to put this off or delay it or just make you listen to me for hours or whatever, but I feel like this is important. And, uh, you know, it's, it's some background that is necessary for, I don't know how many people who are like, who's that? And then I have to tell them the importance of this fucking guy and I feel privileged to do it. And I know some more details now that make sense. <clears throat> there is at least, I don't know, a half an hour of driving around looking for fucking marble rye where I'm trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to ask. You know, it's almost like fanboyish, man. You finally found your fucking white whale and now you're there and you got to ask him all the right questions. Don't fuck it up. All Mark wanted to talk about initially. And, and I did not realize the impact until I think after I was just like trying to fucking absorb and process all this stuff. But what he, his main objective in this interview is not how did I grow mushrooms? And tell me all the things about growing mushrooms. Since 2015, Mark has been fighting to keep his property in Wallow um, and maintain ownership of it. And not from a financial standpoint, not from anything like crazy and, oh, that's so sad. It's brutal and it's ridiculous and it's fucking bullshit. And uh, I feel compelled to help the fucking dude in any way that I can. And I think the only way that I really can is by telling his story, um, in some way of my own and then, and then having him tell it on his own. And, you know, I think he's just as scattered as as I would be in trying to like get from A to Z with a complete stranger. But what he wants to talk about is some baseline misinformation, um, that like I had assumed I had assumed, right. He stopped growing mushrooms, gourmet or psilocybin started growing fucking, um, uh, cannabis and started treating his wife. And then his wife passed away and all goes down from there. It's not what happened. You know, he was a large, like, um, uh, important person in the cannabis industry. Initially, some of the things we didn't get on the recording were, you know, him and these OG fucking strains and bringing them back from the middle East and these different, uh, flight trips where he was flying planes from, you know, all over. 
and uh, smuggling them in or whatever, you know, like uh, it's all so far in the past, but amazing, you know, and his sharp edge of detail is huge. He starts growing gourmet mushrooms because in particular, he's connected with these early cats like John Holiday and Paul Stamets and all these people who are aware of him and he's aware of, but they're not big yet. They, you know, they're not Stamets level. I'm a fucking God bullshit. They're just people and they're hanging out at these different mushroom conventions and groups and gatherings and, uh, shiitakes become the conversation starter and the medicinal value in those things, um, became so intriguing to him that he switched away from cannabis and switched away from cubensis to focus on gourmets to treat his wife. (laughs) I think, it's crazy. There's like a moment where I went the opposite route and I, uh, I, I put my, I put myself in or put him in my shoes. I stopped really caring about mushrooms for a little while. My wife struggled through, uh, treatments. <sighs> oh man. Fuck my life. Right. I stopped worrying about mushrooms for a long time. Um, I was still dealing with it and treating it as a business, but I started focusing on cannabis and, and trying to treat her with, you know, RSO and all sorts of stuff. And he did the opposite. And I find that very interesting. Um, there was a lot of studies at the time and, uh, people were really like, and I mean, underground studies, like the first sort of, um, things that could say anything about the, you know, medicinal compounds benefits and so on and so forth to fighting cancer, specifically with gourmet varieties and shiitake in particular. I remember having a conversation with, uh, Frankie's chemo doctor and he was like, "Yeah, mushrooms are interesting. And you and I will probably have some interesting conversations about them, but we shouldn't mix that into her treatment at all. And I've been doing this so long that I think I just like bit onto that and was like, yeah, no, whatever, you know, probably not. Um, and I think about that now and it's interesting to me because his wife, Har's wife lived a fair amount of time with cancer and fighting it and battling it and surviving it for quite a long time before it, uh, you know, eventually took, took hold and took her life. And, uh, that's fascinating to me. Simultaneously, you know, you do all the second guessing in life and you're like, ah, shit, you know, did I do the right thing? Whatever. So that's an important fact to this whole consideration. What's more important to the, you know, preemptive, considerations here before, you know, going into this episode raw, I'm just trying to prepare everybody for like what this all entails, because maybe it's just me processing it, but I feel like it's not the story you think. So his wife was a Russian immigrant and, um, you know, like coming from that area in particular, you're foreign no matter what. And even back then, and especially it's not that long ago, fucking 2015 seems like yesterday to me. There's the world is just full of shitty people, you know, especially in the sticks, the Hicks and the fucking extremely arrogant assholes who just think they know everything, but they're just naive and they're just full of shit. And I don't know. I hedge to like say that we live in this world where people just don't consider the feelings of a human being, but they just say, Oh, foreign accent. Fuck you. You know, 
that's what he was living with. That's what she was living with. I don't even remember if we got the story on record, but you know, he tells this whole story about, um, to me about his wife coming home one day and she's like, what's, can you look on my back? You know, and she's got a relative Russian accent. I'm not even going to pretend to like, you know, um, impersonate. And she's like, why is my, is there something on my back? And she goes, no, what, what are you talking about? And, uh, he goes, Oh, somebody just yelled, uh, go home wetback. And, uh, <laughs> it's wild. It's fucking wild, man. I think <laughs> I'm like overly protective of people who are so important to me in an industry <laughs> that I can't even like begin to fathom how that makes me feel, you know? So they're doomed like from the get go, essentially. Balo means evil. You know, this town is not for them, but it's a place they've loved and they enjoy and it's theirs. And they wanted to just grow old and die there and, you know, farm and be off grid. And, uh, the town and the locals and the people just fucking hated them. You got weed growing hippie, uh, meets foreign wife, cow cattlemen of the fucking Pacific Northwest clearly don't understand that and don't like it. And it's foreign to them. And they're just fucking just bad people. So after Mark's wife passes away, he's stuck in this situation where he goes into it in this episode. And, uh, and basically from 2015 on a, a lawsuit is about to like unfold and battles rage and, you know, he speaks about it so lightly and clearly and concisely that you don't realize how much of a struggle this has been for him for the past, you know, seven fucking years. And I'm sure he's been to many breaking points. And I'm sure, you know, that he's almost at it again. But there's a fight in him for preservation of, you know, what I would consider sacred ground, um, having like been with my wife as she passed away with our animals on the bed and family all around. There's this radical fucking thing that happens. And that place becomes something that you just hold, you know, it's yours. So Jesus, I'm such a little bitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I think of Liz Madden every time I say something like that. Every time she gets emotional, my dear friend Liz, she goes, ah, Jesus, stop being such a fucking cunt. It's the best thing ever. You just got to shake yourself out of it. You know, emotions are fine, but you're trying to record a goddamn podcast here. All right. So he's got all these crazy people in the town of Wallow who basically don't like him. There's a throughway situation um, there's a lot of like, uh, moving around and tampering of things and, uh, forging of documents. And basically this town rises up against Mark and they basically walk him off his property after destroying it at gunpoint. He's removed from his fucking property. I mean, imagine that you're just sitting in your fucking house, Jordan Gent. Probably not because you have a ton of guns. You're just, uh, I'm assuming that you're just sitting in your fucking spot, you know, Neil, um, you know, you're back home in New York, uh, Corey, um, whatever, Alex, you're, uh, Cat Catuabua. I can't say your farm's name. I'm so sorry. Uh, 
is uh, is just all of a sudden like your neighbors rise up against you and they say, fuck you, get out. We will kill you. We're taking over your fucking property. We forge documents and say you don't own it anymore. And uh, <laughs> what do you do? You stay there and you battle it out or you get fucking murdered. You got your wife's gone. What do you have to live for? Your dogs. And uh, so you fucking leave after they've like destroyed your shit and uh, perpetually just fucked with you. And then you have this moment where you're like, that fight's not over. So you decide to go back and there's this blip in time, this moment where you put your fucking house on Zillow to see what it's worth and contemplate selling it. Mind you, when I told you that story in the beginning, that ad was only up for three days. And in those three days is when that ad got sent to me from some random fucking number. And I saw it. And in the same moment was like so excited about this place. It was probably the worst thing in terms of like, you know, all of the repairs and shit that Mark had to do to get it on the market to try and get rid of it before being able to do anything. Right. And, uh, turns out it's not going to happen fuck this. He's going to, he's going to fight for it, you know, and he's going to get back at everybody who's involved in this bullshit that has taken it from him. And, um, that's the story here. That's the basis for where this fucking dude has been and what he's been struggling with. And a lot of us struggle in silence and we fight it through and we're obligated to do all these things for family and friends who are going through shit at the same time. We don't have a support system and we don't have a way in which we can tell our story to everybody and have it be so clear and concise and cut and dry that we can have some fucking resolution. If anything, I hope that this podcast continues um, I hope that my conversations with Mark continue. I hope that everything we sort of do um, up until the point at which a resolution or non-resolution has been resolved helps him in some way or another. So, you know, if you've got ideas or you've got lawyer friends or you've got anything, you know, keep the dude in mind. Um, I'm willing to help. However, you know, besides mailing in marble rack is the West coast bread scene fucking blows dick. <laughs> You know, I, I'd love to see the, the, the whole thing rally together. I'd love to see some fucking now everybody knows him, um, Hamilton Morris or, you know, crime pays, but botany doesn't guy, whatever New York guy. I'm, I'm not good at any of these things and interacting with people who are huge now, Paul, whoever, anybody like fucking pick up on this shit, you know, have your own fucking story, tell your own tale because the cards are stacked against you no matter what, especially when you're fighting a legal battle and how long that legal battle rages is how complicated and how um, complex it can get. And that length of time will drain you, you know, to an insane degree. I know this from experience, um, life experience and childhood experience and seeing friends go through it. And, uh, if you don't have a good support system to rally behind you and really like help, um, even if you can't sort of manage that level of chaos, you know, you're never going to make it happen. So I'm hoping folks rally behind this motherfucker and I really just want to tell the story. So next week is part one and, uh, I'll be back, uh, to record part two and maybe three and maybe four. And I like where he's going with this. Get your fucking land back. 
<laughs> Fucking rage, man. Yeah.